Welcome back, my friends, to the D-Rate the Hate podcast. I am Wilk from Wilksworld.com, and this is going to be episode 77. Now, this week we're speaking with Tony Kinnett from the Chalkboard Review, who happens to be the co-author of the article I referenced last week when talking with Dr. Alana Fishbein from the Left Turn in Education. So, definitely a conversation you're not going to want to miss, but first, we did not create the hate, but with your help, we can derate the hate. It's all about bettering the world one attitude at a time. And that, my friends, is up to us as individuals. So I'll ask, what have you done today to make your life a better life? What have you done today to make the world a better place? Again, bettering the world one attitude at a time is up to us as individuals. Now, this week's guest, Tony Kinnett, is certainly one that is doing all he can to better the world. Tony is the co-founder and owner of the Chalkboard Review, which is a site of education commentary that features a diverse range of voices on all things education. They believe intellectual diversity benefits the American education and therefore seek to publish a thoughtful range of voices from teachers to advocates, scholars, and industry leaders, left, right, and center. Now, Tony himself is an educator, an administrator, and somebody who has admittedly said he will be homeschooling his own children because of the issues that he sees in the public education system today. Now, with that being said, there's a lot more that goes into fixing our education system than simply calling for school choice or homeschooling or what have you. There's a lot more to it than just knee-jerk reactions. That is what Tony and I discussed in this episode. A great conversation you're not going to want to miss, so let's jump right into it. Tony Kinnett, thank you for joining the D-Rate the Hate podcast. I appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. The reason I, I, I've asked you to join me today is because an article that I read uh, that you co-wrote in the National Review, uh, I believe the title of the article is Conservatives Take Back the Education Field. Now, the D-Rate the Hate podcast is not, not generally a political podcast at all, but what it is is us trying to better the world one attitude at a time. And one of the things that I find a great problem with right now in today's society is the things going on within our education system. So when I found out about your article, I read your article, I found out about your organization, the Chalkboard Review, and saw a lot of good material there. So I I greatly appreciate you joining me today, and and I think this is going to be a good conversation. Now, again, I found your article or I read your article and then I actually talked a little bit about a part of that article in a recent interview with Dr. Alana Fishbein from No Left Turn in Education. So before we get too far into that particular article, Tony, why don't you tell me a little bit about the Chalkboard Review and and what you and the folks over at the Chalkboard Review do uh, with regards to our, our education system? Sure. So uh, last year, kind of at the onset of the pandemic, I was talking to a friend of mine who was the head columnist for an organization. And uh, we as teachers who also write spend a lot of time talking about the common political atmosphere and the atmosphere of the classroom and teachers outside of the classroom. And uh, he asked me if I had uh, been aware of a statistic that was published by Ed Week in 2017 that um, only one out of every three teachers consider themselves far on the left which means that the other two out of three are either independents, moderates, conservatives, libertarians, et cetera. And I was aware of the statistic. I said, sure. 
And he said, well, if one out of the three are on the left, that means two out of the three aren't. And I was like, well, yeah, that that's how statistics work. I hear you, Buck. <laughs> and uh, he went on to say, well, have you ever read an article uh, by any of uh, the other two out of three in any of the major education publications or from like a university forum journal? And I could say that I hadn't. In fact, one of my papers had been rejected from Ball State University. A professor had turned down moving it up the publishing scale just because it wasn't a blue enough piece. And I agreed there was a problem. There's a very common uh, trend of a lot of organizations like Edweek Chalkbeat that are funded by some kind of interesting, very partisan means. And he said, well, also consider that teachers are one of the last people that blog. We're one of the last professions that actually will go home after a day of work, write about our experiences to a website, publish it up. No one's going to read it, but we're still posting because we're trying to share experiences. So he said, well, we need a publication that basically takes all of the views of all teachers from political experiences to inner classroom things that work, pedagogy, curriculum practices, and we need to put it up on our own publication. And he said, I think we should launch it. And I told him no. Uh, because I didn't want to do it. I thought that uh, <laughs> the last thing that we needed was another publication that was, you know, launched, gets about a thousand reads total, and it is basically doomed to fail within a year. Um, and he kind of, he worked me over, wore me down, and we ended up launching in November. And um, what's been just insane to me is the amount of support that we've had. I mean, we're sitting at 14,000 readers monthly now with education articles coming in from teachers all across the political spectrum. Um, we have a very uh, diverse cast of authors, and it's really amazing the amount of perspectives they bring from uh, the public school classroom, public school administration, homeschool, you know, parochial schools, charter schools, micro schools. It's wonderful to see kind of the impact that we've gotten to have, not just on teachers, but on a lot of parents who just want a clear window into the education system. And so that's what we're trying to provide at the Chalkboard Review. That's incredible. And I, I appreciate what you're doing over there because... I think one of the things that we've seen recently uh, with with the increased numbers of uh, incidents at school board meetings and and parents becoming more awakened to the stuff that is happening in our public education system, I, I think it's incredibly important that organizations like the Chalkboard Review are out there. And much like or you were talking about, I like the idea that it, it it spans the political spectrum because I think most people at this point are, are waking up to the fact that most of the public education system is very left leaning, uh, and and, and I, I think that it's 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 incredibly important that we do have a a more diverse. Um, no, I understand kind of a more diverse, uh, a more diverse group of people that are speaking out. And that's kind of the issue Correct. in education is that it's not really that there are that many more leftist people in education than moderates, independents, conservatives, et cetera. It's that that group's the loudest uh, because yep. that group holds a lot of the leadership positions. Uh, there are a lot of teachers who aren't really doing anything with their classrooms that end up becoming principals. And uh, higher education institutions are very, very, very to the left. Teacher education programs in most colleges, very, very, very to the left. Mm -hmm. And so they tell you that's the only way to teach and be successful. And you couple that with social justice advocacy groups that are hyper obsessed with children and, and shaping children and their one specific ideological views point and series. And uh, really, you've got a recipe for uh, quite a very obnoxious uh, left leaning institution, even though 
by and large, it's not that leftist by makeup. Right. And, and that's very good to know, because I, I think with, you know, the media being very left leaning itself, you're right. Those those folks on the left do end up having the loudest voices and the most divisive ones seem to be the loudest in many respects when it when it comes to our education system. So, Tony, let's let's talk a little bit about that article where you said conservatives take back the education field. The line that stood out to me right away was if universal school choice legislation passed tomorrow and parents finally had the freedom to choose schools for their children with public funds to access them, would utopia follow? We doubt it. When I look at that statement, you know, I'm not one who believes in utopia per se. I talk about Mm -hmm. it all the time. Each and every day is the day that we're going to make it. Uh, I don't believe in utopia. I don't believe that a group of people in a faraway Capitol building can create utopia. And and that's one of the reasons that I would love to see the federal government out of our education system completely. But when you make that statement, Tony, the article kind of led me to believe that it school choice was was not the end all be all and and I do agree that school choice is not the end all be all but the article kind of led me or leads down the path of the same people that that are in our school system today the same left leaning people that are running our schools and everything else would just end up following going into the other schools we'd just be making up new schools out of old materials uh, basically or, or old resources meaning the same teachers, the same administrators, and the same everything. One of the biggest problems I find with the the education system is the fact that we have way, way too many administrators, and the government is way, way too involved, or or far, far more involved than it should be in our education system. Would you expand upon the idea that it, even if we did have school choice and got got more of those administrators and more of the bureaucracy out of that? Our money could be spent more effectively. Schools uh, that that the parents can choose if the money follows the student. Is, sure. Does so, that make sense? Yeah, a few things can be true at once here. First of all, Daniel Buck and I, who wrote the article, very pro school choice. I'm shouting it from the rooftops daily. Very, very, very pro charter, micro homeschool. I'm I'm a public school administrator who will be homeschooling my children. There's no other way around it. I encourage parents to do to really That's investigate awesome. and choose alternative options. That said. It is important to understand that a lot of the school choice argument boils down to if we just rip the feds out of the situation, which is a net good thing, suddenly it's going to be perfect. That's not how it works. You can't just snap your fingers, suddenly enact a new policy, and everyone is suddenly going to you know magically enter this new age of education. There's still a lot of work to do. Just Mm -hmm. because you you know, have built the bridge doesn't mean that the land on the other side of the bridge is, you know, going to be this great new promised land. There's still work that needs to be done. My issue with just walking around in the streets and shouting school choice will solve everything is that you're selling the process, whereas you're not actually selling why I need to participate in the process. We're not actually telling parents what's on the other side of school choice now. And I think there's a little bit of a danger in just telling people that school choice will immediately fix everything because what will immediately happen if, again, if we snapped our fingers tomorrow, school choice passed universally across the United States, money explicitly followed the students, et cetera. All of the public schools are not just going to shut down magically. That, that's not something that works. There is not enough private charter school capacity in our country to handle all of our students. Mm-hmm. Do I wish there was? Absolutely. 
But there are a few things that still hold to the United States education system and its public infrastructure that aren't going to disappear just because we enact school choice universally. The state still controls who gets licenses in education, Mm -hmm. meaning that as far as the state's concerned, like the state of Indiana, where I am, you are still going to have to go through the exact same processes, the exact same university, the exact same praxis and Pearson tests to get your license and get the same amount of professional development that they choose to get enough points to renew your license. That's a huge state grip of control. It seems to me as though a lot, and it seems to Buck as well, who, when we wrote this article together, that we're kind of resting on something that's kind of an easy thing to preach. It's easy to say school choice, to hit these two points and then call it a day. It's more difficult to say, we need to build something after we enact school choice legislation. This is something, this is the reason that the article is titled conservatives take back the education field as opposed to libertarians take back the education field. Mm -hmm. Libertarians are most of the time very hands-off and then everything will be fine. Conservatives, at least in this discussion, are usually hands-off is great. And then here is how we as individual local communities and cultures build something better afterwards. So it's the article is more about looking towards the future past the point of the process. I, I like the way you say that, Tony, the just building the bridge isn't enough. There's got to be something on the other side. There's got to be some infrastructure over there. Otherwise you're just getting to the other side and it's going to be absolute chaos. So, you know, chaos is one thing we, especially as conservatives, we want to avoid. It's not going to be a free for all and, and, you know, free for all anarchy, that kind of thing. <laughs> is not going to be a good thing, especially when it comes to the education of our children. So I like the way you explain that a lot. I think it's, I think it's incredibly important that people do realize that because the idea that parents, because I I know a lot of parents are are just, you know, it's become an emotional issue and as well, it should be. Mm -hmm. I mean, our, our children's education, I mean, my children, your children, our kids' education has got to be one of the most forefront things in our minds. And you're right. The idea that we can just start screaming school choice, school choice, school choice, you, you make a great point because there has to be something, there has to be an alternative, an alternative. And if there isn't a viable alternative, then, then we're, we're really getting nowhere, even if the school choice legislation was there. Well, I'll bring it really local. So I live in Eastern central Indiana in a town that, uh, with its its number of residents boasts a high school, a middle school, and a couple of elementary schools. There are no private schools. Uh, there is an online school that works in Indiana. It's K-12 that some people use. And there is a small Catholic school with less than 300 students. The high school graduating class is just under a thousand. So if we enact universal school choice legislation tomorrow, and that's all that we have, nothing is going to change in this area. I I would love to start a school in this town if I could. I don't have half a million to a million dollars to snap my fingers and start a school, not in order to get all of the requirements met, the licensing met, et cetera, et cetera. I have the teachers. A lot of public school teachers are ready to leave and teach in very good private school environments where they can teach the way that works and the way that we understand that works instead of all of this crazy new garbage. But There's no resources or anything of that nature set up so that we can do that. So the public school infrastructure is still going to persist. Mm -hmm. And really, if we're not careful, we're going to end up creating some environments. Let's take Indianapolis, for example. Let's take some random school in one of the township schools on the outer ring. If universal legislation enacted 
and you pull all of these students and basically put all of these smaller private and charter schools at maximum capacity, that leaves so many students in the public school, but not enough to continue running the operating costs for that public school. The school shuts down. Where do those kids go? Because all the public and all the private schools around are already at full capacity. Where do the kids go? It's just, it seems like there's a lack of thinking about what comes after. And that's mm-hmm. honestly, it's, it's kind of getting on my nerves because mm-hmm. we're trying to sell something, not the conservatives. You don't have to sell this stuff to conservatives. We're already here. You don't right. have to sell this stuff right. to libertarians. They're already there. We are currently sitting in a situation where the left is beating the education system. It's beating teachers and parents with a stick. No mm-hmm. one's offering them the carrot. We need to be communicating to teachers why school choice is better for them mm-hmm. and how we're going to make the education system a better place to operate independently. And for That's parents, awesome. we have to provide that infrastructure. Okay. So, uh, so Tony, then, I, and I'm sure this is something that, that you've thought about a lot. It's obviously something that you've thought about a lot. So if Tony Connect could snap his fingers and, and, and institute a plan for the other side of that bridge, you know, what would Tony do? What, what's, your, what's your suggestion? What, what do you think the first steps are? And what do you think the parents should, should start getting on board with and focusing on versus just screaming from the rooftop school choice? Uh, we need to really start pushing for licensure reform in education. There is no reason that we should have all of these hoops to jump through. If we're going to say you can have a school system that isn't completely watched by the state, then your teachers shouldn't be in that way either. Uh, I think that the reason we haven't seen that yet, where we basically take licensure requirements out from teachers is because they're saying, well, if you have some really dumb person with all these really bad ideas and you put them in front of children, they're going to ruin that child. Newsflash, there are already bad teachers with licenses and they're not really ruining children. Children are not that fragile. Whereas if we try something new with education, they're all just going to, you know, poof into this useless dust. Uh, I think that realistically, there's a lot more harm that's done through the licensure system, especially with the current teacher shortage and all these other hoops that have to be done through. I would pull a lot of the regulation out of education, just by and large. If you wanted to buy a warehouse and run a warehouse, get a bunch of folding chairs and open up a school and parents wanted to send their kids to that school, that should be allowed. Now, of course, I know that just sounds horrible to a lot of people, but that is how a lot of local community organizations started. And it ends up kind of forcing the people investing in that school or in previous time investing in that church to pour in resources and build a better location. That is possible. So okay. I would I would start by removing a lot of that regulation. The second thing I would do is I would look into some state programs and charities that would help private and local options start in places that there are none. Now, I don't have a perfect solution for how that framework works. That's going to be different in every state and really every locality. However, I am saying that we need to move in that direction because if you're going to rip all the infrastructure out, you better put something there before the entire bridge collapses or at least have a plan for getting everybody off the bridge. So I'm not going to pretend that I have all the answers, but I am going to say that we need to start pulling our focus away from yelling school choice to start actually looking for these solutions. Sure. And I think... I think it's important to to make that point that free minds and free markets, especially at a local level, will prevail when it comes to doing this. It, it just it's just a matter of getting the bureaucracy out of the way. You know, before the uh, before the feds got involved in the education system in the late seventies and, and started taking over everything. I mean, we had 
200 years worth of, of education system in this country before the federal government began to muddle everything up. And, and that was all local municipalities, local, whether it be churches or community groups or, or whatever. There was school, there was education, but we can't pretend like the only way to do this is, is the big top-down structure from the government the way that it is now. So I think that's very important, Tony, that you bring up the fact that, you know, get more local organizations involved, uh, bring people in in that, that can, can fund this at a local level and, and get the bureaucracy and all the all, all that nonsense out of the way because our children will get educated. And, and I agree. I, I just I agree with you. And I think that's, that's you make some very good points there. I think that kind of moving forward, we need to keep in mind that if we're going to remove regulations in one area, then leaving regulations in another area doesn't really quite make sense. And I want to explain what I mean by that. Um, we're kind of doing a half-baked job in our suggestion of removing regulations in policy. Uh, so we're suggesting school choice, but we're not touching the state's. We're not touching the state's authority over things like standards, mastery, uh, things like testing requirements, attendance requirements, uh, like teacher licensure requirements, as I've already met. And really, we run the risk of kind of becoming like the medical system, which is kind of where we are. It's this like weird balance between capitalism and socialism. So we have capitalism, sure, as in it's kind of a free market, but it's also really, 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 really regulated by the state. So it gets really, really expensive. You get a lot of slush funds. You get a lot of corruption. You get a lot of nonsense and people get ruined by it. So realistically, if we're going to go into a capitalistic system, it needs to be a capitalistic system. Just go into it. And, you know, the, the problem is, is again, when you're dealing with medical policy discussion or education policy discussion, people run the eggshell skull case to you and they say, well, what if this one child and they always paint like the most poor, you know, shabby clothed orphan into existence, you know, that has 18,000 diseases. And, you know, they have all of these, you know, mental problems that need to be addressed in specific mental education situations. Sure, say, sure. What if this one child exists and there's no place for him and he's just going to wither away and it's just awful. And they always paint that, you know, situation. But there are already students like that, and there are already patients like that in the medical system, and the education system that are already being abused by it. My case is, by and large, this is going to work better for people, and then we should, as a society, encourage those people to lift up those other individuals. Again, the private charity of people will always work better than a state-run net. And that no is doubt. probably where I definitely flip more being libertarian on that than conservative, uh, because anytime the state steps in and says, I'll take care of it, you take away any incentive for people to take care of it themselves. No, you're absolutely right. It's it's you couldn't make a more important point there because the education of our children, like I said, needs to be the forefront in, in each of our minds as individuals. And we as individuals can make better choices and better uh, better plans for our, our children than the state ever could, because the state's going to come in, just like you said, they're going to use that one exception to make broad-based rules when you cannot continuously uh, expect every individual to conform to what the exception is. It, it's just mm -hmm. that that is in essence, a, a kind of tyranny that we are seeing. We are seeing it in the education system. We're seeing it in the medical field now. We're seeing all kinds of nonsense in both of those 
because the more the government gets involved, the more muddled up things become, the more bureaucratic nonsense we have to deal with as individuals. Everything becomes more expensive. You know, we've seen in that conversation I had with Dr. Fishbein from No Left Turn in Education, she talked about the number of administrators has gone up, you know, 709% or 790% or whatever. That's what consolidation and buzzworditis does for you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you get you get all of these new administrative positions and all this extra paperwork and all mm. this extra garbage that we have to go through just to try to educate a child when when you know, I mean, some of the most successful students out there right now are homeschooled students where and obviously, you know, like you mentioned in that article, it's not feasible for every parent to homeschool their child. But, you know, with with parents taking personal accountability and personal responsibility for their child's education, they are the teacher. They are the principal. They are the administrator. They're all in one. And those children are getting some of the best educations that that anybody in the country has seen by all academic standards. So that is uh, it's incredibly important that we not uh, understate the damage being done by the government and their bureaucracy are meddling in the education system and, you know, even the, 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 the medical system, like you had mentioned. So Tony, let's, let's talk a, a little bit more about the, a couple of things that are, are happening in the education system. I, I want to, you know, from your perspective and, and those talking at, you know, those, those folks at the chalkboard review, the stuff that we've been seeing uh, recently with our public education system and whether it be uh, mask mandates or critical race theory or leftist indoctrination in general in the education system. I mean, the whole, the whole deal with the, the pandemic has so become, become so highly politicized and it's, and it's got people in an uproar. And, and I don't blame them because to me, I think masking a child is, is cruel and inhumane punishment. Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts about people actually standing up now. And, and, and I don't mean the ones that have threatened violence and, and things that have gotten crazy at some of these school board meetings, but we've seen school boards where the whole school board has just stood up and resigned and the, or, you know, individual school board members just resigning, walking away saying, I, I can't do this anymore. This is crazy. And talk to me about, you know, give me some of your thoughts. On, uh, on on some of those things that we've been seeing recently that uh, that have been at the forefront of some of the news that we've seen. So I think that this has been coming for about 20 years. And I don't say that in a good way. This has been coming for 20 years. I think that there is a, general, a generational issue at play. There have been a couple of studies have done that shows that, that Generation X, by and large, kind of screwed the pooch raising their kids. And that's a very rude thing to say because no one ever criticizes Generation X on anything. We we criticize the baby boomers. We criticize the millennials. We criticize Gen Z. I'm sure we'll criticize Gen I Alpha when they come along or when they get old enough to criticize. No one ever really criticizes Generation X. So before I begin this criticism and I have people saying, wow, he's a terrible, I can't believe that Tony Kenneth guy, what a jerk. (laughs) Generation X, by and large, according to the data that we have, this is not saying all parents in Generation X. I shouldn't have to say that when I just say a generation by and large, but I got to clarify, otherwise people are going to get pissy. Generation X, by and large, kind of messed up screwing. They really messed up. They kind of screwed up raising their kids and that they really didn't watch what their kids were learning in the classroom. They didn't talk to their teachers. 
They didn't look at what was coming home in the backpacks. They didn't really pay attention to what was going on because realistically, their kids' education was a sideshow. And we have evidence that shows this. A lot of parents, when I ask them, when is the last time before the COVID-19 pandemic that you looked at what came home in your kids' assignments, what came home in your kids' homework, if they were honest with me, they would tell me they really never had to worry about it because they trusted the public school to teach their kids. That's not how education is supposed to work. First of all, it doesn't support the classroom. It doesn't support the teacher. They're not talking to teachers. In fact, when I was teaching before the COVID-19 pandemic, I would have conversations with parents, very few and far in between, because so many of them were so disinterested in talking with me and what was going on in my classroom, unless they were the very few that, you know, their kid had come home and said that I was mean to them. And they call in, are you mean to my kid with no evidence other than that their kid told them that then COVID-19 hits. And now all of a sudden, all of these parents, these early millennials and these late Gen Xers are forced to listen to what their kids are hearing in the classroom. And they're hearing the things in the classroom that have been in there for like a decade. It's been in there for a decade. It's just been getting progressively worse. And they're hearing this and they're going, wait a minute, that's not right. That's terrible. And you're right. It is terrible. And so all of a sudden it's like this, it wasn't like a last straw that broke the camel's back. It's like someone took a hay bale and chucked at the camel Mm -hmm. and then the camel collapsed. And everyone's like, wow, this has just been building for a long time. I, I don't think so. I think that realistically, a lot of parents were forced to hear what was going on in their classrooms and they were forced to take action because it was this whiplash that shocked them. And in in the unspoken truth is that it's kind of embarrassing. You didn't know this was going on in your kid's classes for how many years? He's a freshman in high school and this is the first time you've ever paid attention since his sixth grade science project. It's embarrassing for a lot of parents and we have to come to terms with that. Am I blaming parents? No. Am I blaming teachers? No. Am I saying that every single group in this in this entire debacle from administration to parents, to teachers share some of the blame. Absolutely. And I'm tired of pretending that it isn't. Mm -hmm. I think that when that fulminates and what that culminates to is a lot of really embarrassing things at school board meetings. Should parents be standing up at school board meetings? Absolutely. Is the first place you go after you hear something being taught in your child's class is the first place you go to the school board. No, you need to have a conversation with your kid's teacher teacher and then see what the teacher says. And by the way, if that's the only teacher you're talking to, why? As a conservative teacher, when I was in school, I would have conversations with parents as much as I could, and I would let them know what was going on in the school. When I was at Knightstown, Indiana, the school the movie Hoosiers was shot at, I would tell my parents everything that was going on in the school. I would tip them off when the new English teacher that I worked with was filling her kid's head with critical race theory nonsense and talking about white privilege in a seventh grade English classroom. This was in 2017. Mm Mm-hmm. I would let them know because I wanted my parents, I, I wanted a good trust relationship there. And that was me as a conservative. Some of the independents and moderates in our class that actually probably voted blue a lot of the time, they were better at informing their parents about what other teachers were doing than I was. Okay. They'd just been in the field long enough. Going there, really the people that parents should be quote unquote holding accountable here are the principals. Right. The principals. The principals are the ones who decide if a teacher is hired and fired. And if a teacher is teaching really crazy stuff, the principal can walk in and say, hey, stop teaching this or you're getting a bad evaluation and we're going to not renew your contract next year. That's where it needs to go. After that, then you go to the school board and you say, look, we expect you to have principals that are going to hold your teachers to a high level of standard. And by the way, respect your teachers enough to let them teach the right kind of stuff in the classroom. Right. Again, like that libertarian principle of letting me work. That's when it really gets in there. But like going and just making a big speech and and getting everyone riled up is is that's not helping it. That's not working any kind of change. 
It's just creating kind of a populist mob environment. And that's not how you'd engender long lasting change. No, it's not. It's not. And I I've seen, I've seen in, uh, in some of these more publicized encounters, you know, people get up there and, and do the same thing that I, I, for lack of a better word, preach about not doing all the time. And that's letting your emotions dictate your actions. People get up there, they become all belligerent. They, you know, they start screaming and yelling because it makes, makes for a good news clip. But what it also does, it, it gives the, you know, leftist indoctrination media fodder for, you know, saying, Hey, look at these crazies that are, are, are standing up against the school. So I, I think that does a lot of damage to the cause. And I, I think you're absolutely right. People, people, parents need to get in there and talk to the teacher and talk to the, and then talk to the principal. And, and then if, if it's not being taken care of at the most local of, or, or most, most direct source of the problem. I mean, I am the type of person who does not want uh, social constructs taught to my kids and values taught to my kids in the school. I will teach my kids about right. social constructs and values. I want my kid educated, reading, writing, arithmetic in school. You know, that's that's just me personally. I know I know some people uh, you know may may disagree with that, but the education piece needs to happen at the school. I will take care of the rest with my children at my at a home level. That's me. I agree with that. I will say, and I, I forgot to mention this, but there is actually something that's a much bigger concern here than than what's being taught in schools. And I've spoken to a lot of parents and they'll say, I know that, and then, you know, we can list a couple of bad things. They'll say, I know that socialism is being taught in the, in the school. And I know that um, LGBTQ plus IA, whatever is, you know, and gender dysphoria is being taught in school and all of these other things. I know it's being taught in school. Okay. Do you have any evidence for this? No, but my kid comes home and they're talking about it. And I know they didn't hear it here. So therefore they had to hear it at school. That is the biggest lack of accountability and disconnect that I ever hear. And I hear it from parents all the time. You give your kid a plastic and metal and glass piece of technology that Mm -hmm. has full access to all of the pornography, all of the leftism, all of the garbage, all of the predators, et cetera, on -hmm. the internet, Mm -hmm. all of them. I mean, yep. I, I can open up Snapchat. In fact, you know what? I will here because this is so stinking important and I'm tired of hearing this for parents. And I'm sorry yep. that your cast is the one that I'm finally popped on. If I flip over to the, the Spotify news thing, I can scroll through all of the garbage and inappropriate, all of the sexually explicit material. There's two things. There's three things. Mm-hmm. All of the other garbage that your kids can see and you yep. think they're learning it in schools. They may be talking about it with their friends in schools, but when you give your kid open access to the world, don't blame it on the schools. No, you're and absolutely I, by the right. Way, I, I know teachers that you should blame and have and should be thrown out of the schools because they're mm-hmm. garbage educators that literally teach them this stuff. But it's not every teacher. In fact, it's very few and far in between. And if I knew a teacher was teaching sexually explicit stuff in in my school where I was teaching, it would not be pretty. Right. Right. Well, you know, and and you make a phenomenal point there, Tony, because you know the cell phones. Now, uh, now my son, he has a a cell phone, but we have very close monitoring on you know, the websites that he can go to, the things that he can, right. he can search on there, the time, the amount of time that he can use on it. Uh, I, I did an episode 20 some episodes ago where I had a conversation with Amy Storer. She's a, um, she's an analyst with the Department of Homeland Security focusing, you know, primarily on human trafficking and, and, uh, you know, the child sex trade and things like that. And, and, you know, she talks uh, a lot about that, about, you know, keep your kids off the Internet, keep your kids off cell phones and, and stuff like that, because that's where a lot of that 
a lot of that human trafficking and and sexually explicit material and the things that all the everything that comes along with sexual slavery and everything. So so you make a very good point there. Parents can't just automatically go to that default. Well, they didn't learn it at home, so they had to have learned it from their teacher at school. And you make a very important point, and I think that's that's a, a very very pertinent thing that that people need to to understand. Those cell phones and and, and things. Parents can't let the parents off the hook in the in the sense that you know you have to take accountability for what your kid is finding online because only you can control, right. you know, only you can control how they're getting access to that information. So it's very important. And I'm glad you brought up that point, Tony. So with the schools and, and the school boards and uh, what we're learning in school, I think one of the big takeaways that we need to, to get and what the, what the listeners I hope have gotten from this conversation is the parents just need to become more involved. The parents do need to become more involved. Don't get out there and be that belligerent person at, at a school board meeting and become fodder right. for, for the left and the uh, because that does no good. But get involved. Be, develop a personal uh, one-on-one conversation with the teacher. If you feel that something's going on uh, in your school, you know, look for allies within that school, whether it be a, a teacher or a principal or whatever, try right. to take it, try to take it from the, the most local and direct level before going and blowing up at a school board meeting and, and whatever. Because like you said, there's plenty of teachers out there like you uh, if that are, are going to provide the parents with that information. If there is stuff going on, you're going to know it, you know, you're going to know it and, and we can find allies within the school system that aren't just going to bend to the will of the loudest voices, right? Absolutely. And I would really encourage parents. And by the way, none of this I'm saying is is that your your concern should be invalid. I am literally out here leading, being, trying to carry part of the torch against CRT. I absolutely find it abhorrent. It's awful. Uh, I've spent years reading all of this filth. I've been writing about critical race theory since like 2015 and I agree, there are times when we need to step up and and to fight. And there is no way that we should have schools or classrooms that are teaching our children any kind of anti-American nonsense. It, it's silly. It's it's false. I mean, the 1619 Project, the founder literally got up in front of the nation and said, yeah, I made up that stuff mm-hmm, because the mm-hmm. narrative is more important than the factual history. I'm not in any way, shape or form trying to say that we don't take this stuff seriously. I am saying two things. Number one, the left will handle acting crazy. You, you don't have to, we don't have to really like turn up the flame on our side to, to make them act crazy. They, they'll do that on their own. <laughs> right. They don't need any help. What exactly. we do need to do is continue to be the stalwart, respectful members of the community. And by the way, respectful doesn't mean so meek and mild that you're stepped on. I didn't, didn't say that. I mean, respectful saying you're not going to teach this stuff to my kids. And if you are, then we're going to leave. Where we're going to go is not yet clear, but we're not going to do that. That's all you need to say. We will hold you accountable. You will not be reelected. That's it. You don't need to put any emotion. How dare you? I can't believe you did this and that. No, 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 no. Just be clear, be respectful, and then put some iron behind your words. And by the way, at the same time, if you want more moderate and conservative teachers, then treat the ones that you know really well. I mean, really enough with this, like, you know, silly garbage where you talk to me once a year. 
come in and have a conversation with me once every other month. I know you're working. I know you're busy. I am too. Mm -hmm. Start treating your allies within the system better because if we passed universal school choice legislation tomorrow, it would sure be helpful to know who to invite to your new private school that you're starting and who's going to do a good job of teaching your kids. No, don't doubt. key your own car. That's just good wisdom. Right. No, no, that's uh, that's an incredibly important point, Tony. You, you made a lot of incredibly important points here. And I think that parents ultimately just need to get more involved. And and one of the ways that they can get involved, right, is, is to check out the chalkboard review. And, and you and your colleagues over at the chalkboard review constantly putting out good material. I, I, I've gone through you know, I, I just became familiar with, with you guys recently, so I haven't had an opportunity to read a lot of what you've got going on. There's a lot of intriguing and insightful uh, columns in there that give parents a, a lot to think about. And ultimately, it really comes down to personal accountability on the parental level and getting involved. Find out what your kid is learning. Don't be surprised. Don't be right. that parent that wakes up one day and, and realizes, oh, my fourth grader is now a freshman, and I have no idea what they've done for the last several years in school. I don't know who their teachers are. I don't know the curriculum that they're learning. I don't ask them. You know, in my household, we personally ask my boy at the table each night a couple of things. What did you learn in school today, and what are you grateful for? That's right. how you make good kids. That's Be involved with how that person is developing into an adult. Become involved in their education, become involved in what they're thinking each day. And if you know the stuff that they're encountering online, if you know the stuff that they're encountering at school, if Bingo. you know the stuff that makes your child tick, you're not going to be surprised one day. Right. I don't have to tell parents that it's incredibly important to spend time with their kids. That's something that you know. Uh, to spend time with your kids. It will, but if I take my kid's phone away, they're going to hate me. Teenagers, you know, teenagers don't like their parents anyway. <laughs> like, what right. are you? I don't know what you're trying to, what ground you're trying to break. I do think that it involves me putting down my phone and spending time with my kids. And I'm not saying that means putting down screens. There's nothing wrong with, you know, going hunting with your kid, going fishing with your kid, going on a walk or a bike ride with your kid, or playing a video game with your kid. I'm not restricting it to one medium here, but I am suggesting that this little device has done more to harm the family than anything else because it provides the worst kind of people on this planet instant access to your child. Remember, kids are very susceptible mm -hmm. and you can have them in church every Sunday and Wednesday night like I was and like some of my classmates were and you know now who are, you know, raging leftist, you know, fill in the blank everything else, you know, off in Portland doing whatever they want. And mm -hmm. so Keep in mind, there are some things that we let into the home that are far more dangerous than the class can be. And you can still hold your classrooms accountable at the same time, that, that this is not an either or. Again, so many great points have come out of this, Tony, and, and I appreciate what you're doing. I, I appreciate you joining me today on the podcast. A lot of great material, a lot of things for parents to think about because uh, we're here to better the world one attitude at a time. That's what this podcast is for. And people like you that are out there, trying to bring awareness to what's going on and actually provide a path forward instead of just a knee jerk, you know, school choice. I, I think it's important. And I, and I, right. I you know, congratulate you and, and commend you for what you're doing. And I appreciate it. I really appreciate you, you bringing me on. And I think that 
what your audience is, is doing in listening to casts like these is just this step towards virtue every day and building yourself a little better every day. And that kind of accountability where you realize I'm not perfect today, but I'm uh, let's one attitude. It's a little better every single day. That's what's going to rebuild this country. That's what's going to rebuild these local relationships. What's going to strengthen these families. And I can't thank you enough for the work that you're doing to encourage people to take that kind of an introspective look. Well, I appreciate that, Tony. And, uh, Hope you continue to spread uh, spread the positivity that you're doing. Thank you so much. Friends, there we have another great conversation brought to you by the D-Rate the Hate podcast. Tony Kanat and the folks over at the Chalkboard Review doing so much good work. You know, the information that we make our decisions upon is only as good as the outlets that we get that information from. We all know that the vast majority of the media that we see nowadays from the mainstream media, the dumpster fire on social media... We see a lot of garbage out there that can't be trusted. It's a lot of noise, but to filter out that noise can sometimes be very difficult. Institutions like the Chalkboard Review, where they're actually looking to get an intellectually diverse group of people to put together information so that people can make good decisions, they're they're a treasure and they need to be looked at closely. So definitely check out the folks over at the Chalkboard Review You can get their link in our show notes as well as uh, follow Tony on Twitter at The Tonus. A lot of great information. A lot of great information. Great guy doing great things to better the world. And uh, that's what we look for here. So with that, I'm going to wrap things up. Just get out there. Be kind to one another. Be grateful for everything that you've got. And remember, it's up to you to make each and every day the day that you want it to be. If you got something you want to talk to me about, shoot me an email, wilk at wilksworld.com. Follow us on any of our sites and uh, social media as well. We're out there. Find us and follow us. Share us with your friends. Uh, leave us some feedback wherever you get your podcasts. And with that, I am going to back on out of here. Catch you next week. Take care.